0: Hello and welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the show that brings you the latest in research and science news from across the continent. It's me again, a slightly unfamiliar voice, the producer of the show, Harrison. And over the next few episodes, we are revisiting some of the wonderful stories and guests who have joined us here on Africa Science Focus in Season 2. If you ask any news reporter on the continent what the most important story in Africa is right now, they'll most probably tell you that it's climate change. And today, we're going to tackle that topic, too, by revisiting the COP26 climate summit. We'll hear how volunteers have planted over 30 million trees across sub-Saharan Africa, and we'll discover why bugs thats right, bugs, are a sustainable source of protein that could help in the fight against climate change. But first, though, back in November, the United Nations Climate Summit, COP26, was held in the UK. Let's head back over to the conference halls to join our editor, Fiona Broome, who met with Ineza Grace, the co-founder of the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition and the leader of the Green Protector, an organisation that focuses on Rwanda's sustainable development.
1: What do you think about some of the pledges that are coming out? Do you think the results will be positive? For me, I would say first there's this uh, understanding that some leaders, especially from the global north, they are trying to come up clean from the media, where they are stepping up because now more than ever everyone is aware that uh, the climate inaction is doing an injustice, especially in the global south. But when you're looking technically in, uh, in the negotiation or the process that will be undertaken to achieve a climate justice, there's no such thing as a big progress One of the factors that I can give, for example, is loss and damage is the biggest injustice that we are facing. And one of the established mechanisms to address this one under this uh, international uh, conference is the WIM. And we just had a session and the overall progress of the WIM that we reported is enough because they are failing, especially on their third component, which is on uh, uh, ensuring uh, access or action and support and finance for countries to address the impact of loss and damage or climate change. Ineza, I've heard you speak before about the impact of climate change on your community and also on young people around the world. You speak with real passion. Tell me, how is climate change impacting young people and how do you see it affecting your futures? For example, uh, I can start by giving uh, the fact that I myself was exposed to the climate change impact uh, when i was still younger but i didn't know it was climate change because i just have that memory of waking up in the middle of the night uh, to save my life my mom was the one who woke me up because intensive rainfall associated with wind destroyed my house sinning and when i grew up i wanted to be uh, a electrical engineer or pilot because i was uh, i really liked it so much but when i finished high school that's when i uh, i saw on the news uh, that uh, a particular area in uh, in my country uh, people were forced to move because erosion and flooding were hitting their area. Seeing that many of the affected communities of people are moving, were children and women, it just reminded me of how I felt powerless when I felt that one. So I changed dramatically and I went to study environmental engineering. Uh, so loss and damage for me uh, is something that is costing my future. For example, my country is a least developed country and we are doing very little contribution in the greenhouse gas emission but when you look on our economy is really at the front line to the impact of climate change our country lost more than four thousand hectares of land this is cropland where people cultivated to have food for their household or for their social economy development and our country being a landlocked country our GDP contribution agriculture sector is one of the key pillars we practice rent-fed agriculture so when we are talking that we lost 4,000 hectares of land this means we lost our GDP we lost our means to ensure that our community will be able to face tomorrow and this flooding was coming after we have a very long time of drought it's really translating the fact of not having a hope for a future because we are here because we want to go back home, for example, and say to our community, now you can rest assured we have come to a solution. You can, uh, you can cultivate your land. And if it's going to be destroyed, there's an international mechanism that is able to support you. But whenever I'm in the room, you can hear the frustration because developed country, small island country have been making their demand clear for ages. But we are in 2021 and people are denying all the system is denying. And I'm, I don't want to blame anyone because I know everyone has their parts to play in the role. But I just, we do deserve a future and there's no way we're going to have a future if we keep doing the business as usual.
0: Just after the climate summit, Anesa was quite rightly named as one of the Obama Foundation's African leaders. Africa's climate leaders have their sights set on this year's climate meeting, COP27, which will be held in Egypt, Wanjira Mathai is among those leading Africa's climate movement. Wanjira is a Kenyan environmentalist and a board member of the Green Belt Movement, a grassroots organisation that was established by her mother, Nobel Peace Prize winner Wangari Mathai. Our reporter, Michael Koloki, caught up with Wanjira to find out what's really at stake for Africa at COP27. The
2: single most important issue as we face the impacts of climate change, and as science gets clearer and clearer about how devastating those impacts will be if we breach the 1.5 degree increase limit, speaks uh, seriously to the existential nature of us as an African community. And so the African COP will focus squarely on adaptation as well as loss and damage. And the issue of loss and damage in particular, Mike, The fact that we have, as an African continent, contributed only 4% to global emissions but are already suffering such significant impacts from uh, the impacts of climate change is absolutely unjust. And it is that injustice that loss and damage seeks to address. We cannot ignore it. In fact, we should see more and more people stand up for climate justice and if we say we are standing up for climate justice we must speak up for loss and damage because there can be no climate justice without addressing loss and damage
0: as the vice president and africa regional director at the world resources institute when studies how our forests rivers land and oceans are used
3: what is the current state of deforestation in sub-saharan africa and what strategies do you think can be put in place to deal with deforestation.
2: Africa has the greatest restoration potential in the world. 700 million hectares of land need to be restored. We also know that from COP26, nature plays such an important role in mitigating against climate change, cushioning us against the worst impacts. Nature is going to be a crucial part of the of the climate solution. So, restoring Africa's landscapes, restoring Africa's forests, protecting the forest that we have, is a crucial part of addressing the climate crisis.
3: Now, there has been a debate here in Kenya over the years, where in some regions, such as in parts of the East, some community members have said that they need to cut down the trees in their forests because the trees are their only source of livelihood. They need the trees for firewood and they need to sell the wood to make some money. Yet, there have been calls from other quarters for them not to cut down the trees, Would you, in this case, understand the concerns of the communities in regards to their economic livelihood?
2: The truth of the matter is, it isn't the case that they need to cut the forest. It's because we haven't, as a government, as a country, prioritized access to energy for these communities. Therefore, yes, I I would definitely, in their situations, do the same thing. But we have to prioritize the fact that Those forests play a role that nothing else can play. And so as a country, prioritize protecting those forests even as we invest in alternative sources of energy. It is also very true that cooking with biomass kills. That's another thing that we also have to protect our people against. It is the fourth, I think, leading cause of death in the world. And we are losing millions of people every year thousands in Kenya alone, due to uh, indoor air pollution complications. We've got to find a way for clean cooking to be a priority as well. And so it's not really so much about cutting the trees, it's about addressing energy access as a matter of priority this decade.
0: Our food systems are being deeply affected by the changing climate. So food and agricultural scientists are looking for innovative ways to produce the food that Africa really needs in a more sustainable way. Earlier in the season, Michael spoke with Esther Ngumbi, assistant professor of entomology at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, who believes that insects could be a tasty way to feed communities without affecting the climate.
3: Esther, at the moment, eating insects would be a strange concept for many communities in sub-Saharan Africa. Do you have a strategy to encourage people to accept insects as part of their diet?
4: so that's that's a good question and i actually want to say eating insects is not a strange concept when you go back into the literature and dig down into the records we know that history is clear actually Human beings have been eating insects for over many years, and including in the African continent, for example. Uh, we have the eating of mopane worm in South Africa, Angola, Zimbabwe, Mozambique. And this has been a, a long tradition. So eating insects is not a new concept. And I can imagine, so, so I think, oh, grabbing a grasshopper and putting it into your mouth. Whoa. Okay. Okay. We can convert insects into flour, for example. We can mill them and then... Incorporate that into our uh, diets. For example, I'm a Kenyan, uh, and we eat ugali. So think of it: uh, harvest your grasshoppers and grind them or mill them into a powder, and then you can incorporate that into your ugali. There you go. You already have been able to uh, sufficiently get your nutrient or protein nutrient source for the day.
3: Esther, just to mention there, um, you had said ugali. Just to explain, ugali is considered a staple food here in Kenya, and um, it is similar to perhaps uh, what I would explain to as uh, Italian polenta. So basically, uh, maize flour that is uh, put in boiling water and it uh, turns into a sort of like a, 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 you know, a sort of pulp, if I could describe it that way. It's also known as sima in Tanzania, and in sima, in uh, southern africa
4: so there are many many creative and innovative ways of packaging insects so that we are able to get over that concept of eating a grasshopper eating a caterpillar eating a cricket (laughs) and so yeah so there are many ways and i'm i'm grateful because uh, science and through collaborations between scientists chefs and many other people in the culinary world, we are finding creative ways to package insects. Think of baking, for example. Think of your wonderful muffin in the morning, your cookie, your, your ma'amri, um, whatever uh, delicacy or food you enjoy during the day, you can incorporate uh, insects into that. And people even won't see it. And so that what you can't see yet is healthy for you then I think uh, we can be able to get to many people and convince people to uh, incorporate insects as part of their diets.
3: And just to ask Esther, do you have a favorite recipe for eating insects?
4: My favorite is when they are uh, fried, crispy, they are crunchy and of course, they're really delicious. So, yeah, I, I think I've eaten uh, stir-fried uh, crickets that were combined with uh, bell peppers, with onions, and it was yum. Of course, I've also been to South Africa, and I actually really enjoyed just uh, the serving of the worm with, again, sima, I believe, or gali, or however they call it in South Africa. And of course, I've also enjoyed steer-fried mealworms again. They're crunchy, they're yum, and they're interesting. So I have many favourite insect recipes that I've tried and loved. I keep an open mind and I keep trying them as they are shared out there.
0: Maybe you too can keep an open mind and give insects an actual try the next time you see them in the store or at the market. That's it for this week. To listen to the full interviews of those amazing scientists featured in today's show, you can search for Africa Science Focus wherever you get your podcasts, or head to SciDevNet's website at www.scidev.net. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. Today's editor was the lovely Fiona Broom, with reporting from the fantastic Michael Colokie. I'm Harrison Lewis,